Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm not beating around the bush. This movie was wonderful. It's delightful. Couldn't have asked for more. A plus. I'm not joking. I mean, I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. I wonder why, what do you guys think is the etymology of beating around the bush? Do you think like in olden times, if like, a, I'm just thinking about this, if like there was a duke who was like, Marguerite, I want to tell you something, but I, um, and then he got a stick and just started like hitting some shrubbery for a while until he was ready to tell her that, you know, he found her fetching or something. Yeah, it's like uh, they they would run off uh, after like getting you know kind of stammering through a conversation and being like I can't do it and then run off and <laughs> take their frustration out on a bush. And um, she was like Eddie Redmayne, no. Either that, yeah, either that, or uh, it's like if you're trying to to get, I don't know if it would be a person or an animal of some sort to get them to come out of a bush, but like it's not polite to just like mm. you know, I don't know, stab the bush directly. Kind of sure. Guide them out. Well, I can't just say, get out of there, Clarence. That's a terrible thing to say to a dog. <laughs> so I just have to sort of... Uh, 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 oh, Percival. And so Speaking on. of uh, 1800s England, um, <laughs> we are talking about The Muppet's Christmas Carol. Um, I realize that from Alex's review at the beginning there, you might have thought we were talking about... Oh, I don't know, 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, something along those <laughs> lines. But no, we are talking about yeah. Muppets Christmas Carol. Pretty uh, pretty good movie. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just like The Angry Birds 2. Um, no, this is, this is a very... When we realized that this was the fourth Muppet movie and that this, the timing would would fall as it as it has has fallen like such perfectly placed snow on a on a christmas night um we were like yeah let's get into the muppets and this is one that i i a movie that i love particularly uh and it is also christmas time merry christmas listeners merry christmas co-hosts merry christmas we are here it is the christmas time um guys what a year huh (laughs) In these unprecedented Christmas times, uh, really, ha- Alex, say your legally mandated phrase <laughs> <laughs> that all people with a public forum have to say. Where is no time to die, you hacks? <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. I I don't want to see Tom and Jerry. I want to see no time to die. Um, which is what you could probably call the Tom and Jerry movie. Um, but yes, we are, we hope you are having a, a wonderful, if, if, you know, likely unusual, uh, Christmas time, but we're here, your, your movie buddies to talk about something we all enjoy. And we're here to talk about the Muppets. Um, Alex, would you like to start us off with your best and worst thing? Well, I got to do this, the scores. I, I will. I, oh, that's right. That's right. One, one thing leads into another, fortunately enough. So <laughs> the Muppet Christmas Carol directed by Brian Henson from 1992. It has a 76% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 85% audience score. I don't know what to make of that. We'll look and make fun of some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes in a little bit. I will pull that together. In the meantime, I don't have a worse thing. 
And my best thing is I'll just pick something. The whole movie's wonderful. I'll just go with Michael Caine because Michael Caine's great. And I think of, of all the actors that have had to interact with Muppets, um, and we've really had some wonderful actors kind of, you know, acting in, in the previous movies opposite them. Uh, you know, Steve Martin, Diana Rigg, you know, all sorts of different people. Uh, Orson Welles. Um, I think Michael <laughs> Caine just just by virtue of the fact that he is the star of the movie and it, you know, it really is on his shoulders. Like he's absolutely wonderful and it's a wonderful performance and it's nice that he's not hamming it up or anything. Like he's very, you know, he's taking it seriously, which is much appreciated. Um, He really, he really bridges the emotion of the character to the character. Cause like, he's just living in this world where some people are Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. And he really bridges the audience into being able to like just settle into that and immerse in that. Yeah. Whereas there are characters that he cares a lot about and they're just Muppets and he's, he's like completely bought in a hundred percent to the emotional, uh, stakes that might involve these characters. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, have I, not, uh, I had never seen this movie all the way through. I think I've maybe seen like a scene or two, but never all the way through. Um, this is now my favorite Christmas movie, um, except for Die Hard. Um, <laughs> uh, but then again, my only other competition w- would be like Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> Wait, sure. Go back and listen to that review, because then we talked about Elf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that Michael Caine is, it, I mean, you, get, you guys totally said it. He He takes it seriously there's no irony there's no like kind of winking at the audience like i'm talking to a a muppet over here what he is completely engaged and i think that's one of the things the movie does so well is the movie is is really committed to like giving you this story and not just like what if the muppets were in christmas carol all right and then it's just goofy like they really are telling this story with the muppets Mm -hmm. um and I think Michael Caine, I, I think of the ver- however many versions of Christmas Carol I've seen, I think he and this movie do the best job of tracking Scrooge's arc <laughs> from the beginning to the end. And it's, it was really nice. Really, a lot of actors, when they play Scrooge, they do the, like, hunched over, like, bah, humbug, I don't like Christmas. Yeah. But Kane is very straight-backed. And he's even smiling at the beginning when he's doing cruel things. Mm-hmm. But you... You buy him as someone who is cold and shut off, not someone who is cartoonishly nasty. Yeah, right. Which, which I find more moving that by the end of it. And, and he's so warm. My Michael Caine can be such a warm, lovely, sympathetic performer. And he can be so cold and so yeah. mean. And he gets to do both in this. And, and watching him play that arc through the movie is, is just extraordinary. That it never feels like he was mean, he was mean, he was mean. Flip the switch. He's nice now. Right. Um, it may feel like that way to the other characters, but for the audience, it's it's just this beautiful character work. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think we, ha- we have some more great human Muppet performers coming up in the next few movies, but I think Michael Caine is the master class. Like, he is the best at acting with, with the Muppets. Because also his movie is the least meta, I think, of, of that. Even though this is still a meta movie. Um, is I think the least certainly of the few that we've watched. So, what you got, Tyler? Yeah, um, I think my best thing is going to be the uh, Gonzo and Rizzo 
framing. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are so many great jokes between the two of them, and, and they so effectively help you set up this world uh, that is, like, enjoyable to watch and get invested in. Um, the Because at the beginning, there there's some great jokes about uh, how Gonzo is like, yes, I'm Charles Dickens, and Rizzo's like, no, you're not. Because um, <laughs> I think there's one specifically where Rizzo says, uh, Charles Dickens was a, a genius 19th century novelist, a, a, a revolutionary or whatever, and then uh, Gonzo's like, why, thank you. <laughs> they just keep going with it. Um, there's lots of great jokes that- about them getting thrown out of windows and stuff, and mm-hmm. good good sight gags, and um, they just have a really great banter. Uh, and then specifically towards the end, uh, in the graveyard scene with the ghost of uh, Christmas Future, uh, Gonzo's just like, yep, yeah, this is getting too scary for us. We'll see you guys on the finale. And they just leave. <laughs> they don't show up again. It's it's great. Um, the I think my worst thing, which I got excited about when I saw it, because I was like, cool, I can have a worse thing and just, just stick that there and be done with it, is there? there's an effect of Michael Caine and the Ghost of Christmas Future walking through like a portal that looks mm. kind of bad. And I was like, cool. One thing I noticed, <laughs> one flaw. All right, there yeah. it is. That's my worst thing. <laughs> yeah, some some of the digital effects haven't aged super great, right. which, you know. I yeah. mean, some of them, like the Ghost of Christmas Past looks creepy in a in a way that works well yeah and there's yeah. kind of a weird She's ethereal like creation. i think there's some digital stuff going on there but i think it is also a puppet i'm assuming i believe what they did was they did she is a puppet and she was puppeteered underwater and mm. so they filmed her underwater which is why her hair and her mm. her clothes are billowing like that and then they did the digital projection right uh right for the movie so, and so which is which is genius yeah. like that's such a smart way that, to, to get that, that is to me kind of like um in the original Terminator, the the stop motion Terminator, mm. where it's like sure. this is weird and doesn't look like a thing you would see in a movie today, but it works for what yeah. like is kind of the movie's kind of going for. Um, that was just the only effect, the the one with the Ghost of Christmas feature, where I was like, okay, I found I found sure. one problem. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I, I I've yeah, been I, taking um, a look at, at yeah. some of the negative reviews over the past couple minutes, and basically all of them boil down to. Uh, I don't want sentimentality in my Muppet movie. <laughs> like they're ta- they're like this sounds they... like too schmaltzy, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Have you watched a Muppet? Also, movie? a review from uh, Kevin A. Ranson from MovieCrypt.com. I am calling out your February twenty fourth, two thousand three review. Rizzo the Rat needs his own movie. Michael Caine, on the other hand, doesn't. Two out of five. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right, Michael Caine. <laughs> wow. I mean, I love Rizzo, so that, that I don't have problems with that. But like, also one of the negative reviews, the headline is just "Bah humbug," and I'm like, oh, how original, cute. Yeah, that's real cute. <laughs> Oi, you, you, Kevin. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I well, think I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna officially jump on the the my high horse here and say that those critics are wrong. This movie is delightful. Yeah. I, I think they're missing some some key elements here. <laughs> I, one of the the so much of Gonzo and Rizzo is so quotable, but you mentioned in that early interaction where Gonzo's insisting that he is Charles Dickens. He says like I know this story like the back of my hand. And Rizzo says, okay, we'll go ahead and tell it. He goes, okay. And he holds out the back of his hand. 
there's a mole on my thumb and a scar on my wrist when I fall off my bicycle. And Rizzo's like, don't tell us your hand. Tell us the story. <laughs> and it just keeps on going from there. Um, my uh, best thing about this movie uh, is uh, really just pick anything. But So like Alex, I'll, I'll just go with I'm, – I'm actually going to go with something a little niche. I'm going to go with Jerry Nelson. Jerry Nelson, uh, who passed away a few years ago, is the voice of – he was Floyd and uh, Robin in this movie, Tiny Tim. He was also the voice of the Ghost of Christmas Present. Um, so he sings a lot on this soundtrack. And he, he, is, he has a beautiful singing voice. And to know that both – it feels like Christmas, this wonderful, buoyant number that the Ghost of Christmas Present sings and this booming baritone is the same voice as Floyd – from the Electric Mayhem, mm-hmm. who, you know, uh, uh, is singing Can You Picture That, is the same voice as Robin, is is just stunning. He he was a beautifully gifted performer, and Bless Us All, the song that the Cratchit family sings, uh, literally always makes me cry. Every time I watch it, listen to it, there have been times when I can't even, like, like, if I'm just around the house, like, singing to myself, if I start singing it, I get <laughs> choked up, like... That song and those lyrics hit me in such a specific place, and I think it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and he sounds incredible singing it. Uh, I I just adore him. Uh, my worst thing is that you ca- that you have to hunt down one of the songs from this movie, sure, uh, which is called "When Love Is Gone," which Bell Scrooge's uh, ex girlfriend, which is a weird <laughs> phrase to use, but yeah, um, this is my girlfriend Baru. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, she she sings this song. So, so in the Disney Plus version, in a lot of the current releases, when they they show the two of them breaking up, they have this dialogue. Belle walks away, and then Gonzo and Rizzo are crying. And I I mean, sure, you get all the information, but what's supposed to happen is that she walks away and then sings this really lovely song called "When Love Is Gone." Um, not really complicated, but it's very pretty. But at the end of that song, Michael Caine stands behind her she of course he's you know a ghost essentially yeah and sings along with the last part of her her song mm. which is gorgeous it's a great moment because it's it's a character looking back and being so close to the one thing not the one thing but one of the things he would so easily go back and change if he could and he's looking at her and he remembers everything she said to him and he's saying it with her and the lyrics themselves are not only her lamenting like, oh, we we could have had something, Ebenezer, but you were, you were too uh, attached to your money. It's also Scrooge now looking back at this years after it going like, we almost had this, I almost had this, but then I let it go away. And it's such a poignant, beautiful moment um, that like, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was involved at Disney at the time, was like, kids won't be interested in that, so we should cut it. Um, And it's true, when I was like a little kid, I didn't really pay attention to that song. But I think you get so much more by having that song. And this is not a long movie anyway, so it's not like we need to save minutes. Um, You can still, it's on YouTube, you can easily find the scene. And, you know, it it is not the greatest uh, uh, hack job of, of... this happened to a movie from production to release. Sure. But like, it would be nice to see that restored. Look, yeah, so. release the Henson cut. <laughs> Thank you. I did want to ask Apparently a question were... because 
going along with it, with Michael Caine being the focus of the movie, one of the things that I really appreciated from the past three Muppet movies that we've done is that, you know, for the most part, they do revolve around the Muppets. It's not like yeah. a Transformers situation where the Transformers are just kind of set dressing and we just have human characters that we don't actually care about. Um so I found it interesting that, you know, we jumped to this one and it really is like, no, a human is the, is the main character. Um, right. I, I don't know, Britton, if you, if, is there a particular reason why they didn't have one of the Muppet characters be Scrooge? Is it just because like personality wise, none of them really fit that character or? I, I honestly don't know. Um, I, I believe there was a, originally a draft where like, they were all going like Gonzo was going to be the ghost of Christmas future or something mm-hmm. like they were going to go probably when they were going for a goofier version of this. Sure. But uh, I, I don't know the, how that decision process got me. I, I, I don't, this is now after Jim Henson's lifetime. I'm not as informed on the backstory of a lot of these movies, right. but um, I, I'm, I'm not sure is, is, is my answer. I, I, and I think it, Obviously, I think it works because they picked a great actor, yes, right. giving one of his, I think, one of his best performances. Yeah. Um, but I think it also helps to kind of separate Scrooge from the rest of the world in that most of the people he interacts with in the movie, like really the only human characters who are like regularly utilized are part of Scrooge's circle. Like it's right. him, it's uh, his nephew, Fred. His his wife Clara, and then Belle. Am I right? It's pretty mm-hmm. much just them. Yeah. And everybody else is is a Muppet, and and even then the the ones the, the spirits were not Muppet characters slotted into those roles. They were new characters created for the movie. So I think right. it kind of helps like isolate Scrooge a little bit, and 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 the people that he's connected to. Um. And but it also helps that like there are always puppets on screen. It's always a Muppet movie, even right. though. Scrooge is right there. You're constantly seeing, even if it's not a familiar character, it's like, oh well, uh, you know, the, these townspeople standing around gossiping. They're they're pigs, yeah. <laughs> or like, right. you know, there's some, uh, I don't know, whatever. I, I think that I think that helps. I think it also, it, it works because it, it's very clear that they thought about where they were placing the characters and like who was going to be what Christmas Carol character because like Kermit yeah. is Bob Cratchit. Makes sense. Um, yeah. uh, and then having Gonzo be Charles Dickens. Um, truth be told, I've never enjoyed Charles Dickens. Um, <laughs> I was one of the people that had to, you know, read um, Tale of Two Cities for like summer reading mm. before getting into high school. I was like, nope, never again. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a weird. So, like, a weird choice. We had to read Great Expectations at some point, and I just didn't read it. Um, which is weird because you usually have uh, a really good relationship with high expectations of things. <laughs> um, point being, I've never been a huge fan of Charles Dickens, so I, I yeah, and and I don't, I, I don't really know like fine tuned details about how. Basically, is there are there any plot elements that this leaves out that the original story has? Ooh, I. Not to my knowledge. It's, yeah, it's not like a long story, so I feel like right. it covers everything. Yeah. Maybe I think so. I mean, there might have been maybe like the you know the book has a little more of his relationship with Belle mm-hmm. or something. Right. Uh, but I, I don't think there's like major characters that they 
cut or anything. Right. I, not, 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 not that I'm remembering. Because I'm trying to think of just other versions of that story that I've seen. Oh, I think the, the major thing is that in the book and in some of the film adaptations, the Ghost of Christmas present opens up his robe and reveals these two children in place of his legs or something called Misery and Want. Ah, yeah. And they're like these gaunt, like terrifying looking kids. Yeah. That's this moment of like horror and it's just kind of weird. So I, I think they cut that for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that really changed much thematically. Yeah. I feel like at this point I should just go for Charles Dickens adaptations. Just like, I will, watch I this. Will say, having Dark Knight Rises is kind of Tale of Two Cities. Kind of. Not really. Right. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think in general, classic literature sits better when you're not being forced to read it. Yes. <laughs> um, when, when you can divorce yourself from its Well, of course, its status. Me, me, you know, being a... a I guess slightly pretentious high school student thinking I'm better than all of the the literature we were reading. Going, he was paid by the word. That means this is bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, yeah, I kind of yeah. got burned by by some of that stuff. So, I prefer my anamorphs. Thank you. I'll go back to rereading <laughs> I, the Hunger Games trilogy. Thank you. I do recall the book being short and actually pretty funny. Like Dickens was funnier than I than we give him credit for. Um, we were talking about – this movie uses a lot of lines directly from the book. Uh, so like that whole year, a bit of cheese uh, or come of cheese, a blob of mustard, there's more of gravy than the grave about you is straight up Dickens, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. You talk, you talk about slotting the characters. Who, what Muppet would be which characters? Maybe the best joke of that is that Fozzie plays character Fozzawig. Mm-hmm. In the book, the character's name is Fezzawig. Yeah. So I wonder if they went Fezzawig, <laughs> kind of like Fozzie. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I do regret the Fozzie's not in it all that much. I I do love his yeah. like everyone that has like a very small role has something funny to do, but it's it's kind of right. it, it's it's kind of that double edged sword where it's like okay we're we're actually trying to tell a story with this one where we you know we're doing something a little bit different than what you've seen with the other Muppet movies so I think we're okay with that. Um, you know we've had three full movies of just Muppets doing stuff. Um, yeah. So I feel like this one's got got a little bit of re- breathing room with re- regards to that because it's like, well, Fozzie's not in so much of this one, but go go watch, you know, Great Muppet Caper. Yeah. He's in he's in that all over the place. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Variety, um, the spice of life, and Muppet movies, <laughs> and Dune. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that this th- this movie is an interesting thing because it was the first movie made after Jim Henson passed. And and all, oh, Richard Hunt as well, um, who was the <clears throat> original performer for Scooter and Janice and um, Beaker and, and several other characters. Um, so and this movie opens, it says, in loving memory of Jim Henson right. and Richard Hunt. Yep. And it's, I think in a way it's kind of smart for it to be this other thing. And I don't know if there had been other Muppet things released like tv specials or something before this movie i I don't believe it was like there was there were no muppets for two years until this movie came along well even in between movies uh, when was the last one 84 yeah yeah it's yeah it's been been a while that's theatrically speaking yeah because he had been making like labyrinth and storyteller and tv tv things good point 
Yeah, I, I think it kind of works. And, and, and you can see that, like, Scooter isn't in the movie. Janice doesn't say anything. Rolf and Dr. Teeth aren't really utilized. Right. Uh, for, for obvious reasons. Like, you can't not have Kermit. Did, did the Kermit voice change? We, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. What did y'all think uh, in regards to Steve Whitmire now being Kermit? Uh, slightly distracting, but I got over it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It, to me, it very much felt like... We, it felt like somebody had, was doing an impression of Jim Henson's Kermit... And that impression has now become the thing people base their impressions off today. So it was gotcha, not super yeah. distracting me because cause I was like, oh, this is... Like, I don't think I'd realized that the Kermit in the last three movies was not really how I, like, normally heard Kermit in my head, I guess. Or, like, how I would right. normally think of uh, Kermit's voice. Um, so this one is, like, a lot more in line with what I have heard people mm-hmm. when people do Kermit voices. Um, even though it's really still kind of... Uh, pulling off the actual original performance, um, so I thought that was yeah. interesting. But it didn't, yeah. Same it, it was like, oh, huh, there is a difference, and yeah. then <laughs> kind of just rolled with it. Yeah, I, I think I said this in the last one that I grew up watching both Whitmire and Henson, so like they're both Kermit for me, and and Whitmire is Kermit through the rest of our, through the rest of this franchise. It's Steve Whitmire. <laughs> I believe he's still performing the character now. The others will change, like. Frank Oz and Jerry Nelson, they'll they'll leave. Hmm. Um, Dave Goals, I think, will stick around. He's gone, so I think he sticks around for the rest of it. Um, I don't know if he's still performing the character, but you know he he will be through the rest of our movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, this is just like, oh yeah, this is like other Kermit. <laughs> like it's not even Kermit one, Kermit two necessarily. Yeah. Um, I think I noticed in that like Steve Whitmire is a slightly better singer, <laughs> so you can kind of hear like hmm. he's hitting those notes a little more easily than Henson <laughs> did, but it's still not like Henson was not a bad singer by any means. Um, uh, yeah, it was. It, it, I, we've, we've talked about the music being a bit lackluster in the past few. Paul Williams is back, who wrote the songs, co-wrote the songs for the first movie. Now he's back. What, what did you guys think of the of the score for this one? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's very good no it, it really is i think kind of a night and day yeah um because yeah. we talked about how we didn't we we enjoyed the songs in the last one um but like i i think i like the score more than even the muppet movie um i think yeah. it's there's just like every song is very strong um it does include the line um no cheeses for us mises uh, yep. which is automatically that's you know <laughs> you, you've, you've reached the upper echelon of, of musical scores or movie scores um i was really mad because no one has done it feels like christmas as like a cover oh, i was wow. looking this up and i was like i was sure i was like so even like a buble just give me some somebody yeah, has yeah. done like a, a fun <laughs> You know, kind of. No, I don't. I don't necessarily want a pop version, but like Johnny Cash. Has, some, sure. <laughs> I just was I very like, surprised. Like a swing, like, like yeah. It, it, that song, I was like, this. I love this song. Like this, I'm really enjoying digging this. Like this is such a good, uh, uh, like just melody. Um, and uh, I, no one has like made tried to make that like a Christmas song. Weird. No one has, has tried to pull that in, and it made me sad. I don't know if maybe there's that a right thing behind that, but. Sure. I, I remember as a kid, I listened to Marley and Marley a mm-hmm. lot because it's like kind of haunting. 
Um, but I, and I love it. And I really <laughs> love that this movie, because in the book it's just Jacob Marley, but in the movie it's right. Jacob and Robert Marley. So there's a Bob Marley joke yes. in the movie, <laughs> which I think is so incredible. Um, I listen to that one all the time. Bless, bless us all is my like forever song. But uh, I love "One More Sleep Till Christmas." I think that mm-hmm. song is so beautiful that that Kermit and the and the rats sing. And, and this kind of goes back to the last two movies. The, the songs were numbers; they were big these production numbers. But this kind of goes back to Muppet Movie with Paul Williams again because they're they're moments. They are numbers. I mean, there's dancing and the opening. The uh, here comes Mister Humbug. Mm-hmm. Here comes Mister Greed. All that. That is a number, and it feels like Christmas is a number, but it still feels very like internal and very drawn in, right. in in a beautiful way. And that you know you don't need not these big bombastic like piggy swimming underwater and jumping off of fountains and stuff. Not that I didn't enjoy that, right? But I think it brought home this like the the warmth of the movie yeah. and the the sense of like intimacy. Mm-hmm. Which I find really, uh, really beautiful. Also, uh, as long as we're talking about great lyrics, uh, the undisputed master of the underhanded deed is a great lyric in the opening <laughs> about about Scrooge. Um, I just Paul Williams is like a, just a genius songwriter. Um, he wrote. He had a career of his own, but he also wrote. I think he wrote um, "Rainy Days and Sundays" for the Carpenters. I mean, he wrote hit songs for. Tons of people. He was brilliant. And there's a really good documentary about him called Paul Williams, colon, Still Alive. Hmm. Uh, well, he wrote, he, uh, Daft Punk, he wrote with them on their last album, The Random Access Memories. That song, Touch, that's him uh, that he wrote with them. And he accepted Album of the Year with for them when, when they won. Wow. Uh, yeah, he's uh, very prolific and, and wonderful. Um, I Also, Michael Caine sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The man hasn't aged in 30 years. And by that I mean he got to like 50 and then he just stopped aging. <laughs> His hair is blacker in this than it is yeah. white now. Yeah. Well, I couldn't uh, tell how much of it was like a wig. Oh, just sure. some kind <clears throat> of, yeah, I don't know. you know, not real. And he's also definitely more spry in this hey. than like yeah. the Dark Knight trilogy or something. But. I love in the It Feels Like Christmas where the uh, uh, Ghost of Christmas present is dancing and he's like kind of bopping his arms mm-hmm. and Michael Caine at the end is like, me too! And kind of like <laughs> half joins in a little bit. I think that's it's so cute. Uh, what did you guys think of our new, not I say new characters, but our original creations uh, for this movie, for the for our spirits? What did you guys think of those creations? So all, all of those, well obviously uh, are the Marley brothers. Obviously those are our... our, our uh, yes, yes special old folks coming back um <laughs> but, but the yeah. uh ghost of christmas um past and then the ghost of christmas future those are both not those are original to this movie past present and future are all original to the movie mm, yeah. okay yeah it, oh so, yeah for some reason i'm thinking the old guys were like one of the sets of ghosts and that, that you know they they come in to set up the premise <laughs> right yeah yeah they, they were the preface right. yes um the this so this is is getting away from the christmas vibe but um i feel like one of the things i've always like enjoyed about what i had seen of this movie because i also had never watched it i think straight through um 
I really enjoy the uh, kind of spooky aspects of it, and I think that's a that's sure. a strength of the original story as well, um, because it is it is almost the original uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, where you've you've got like. Oh, we're yeah. taking Christmas, and then we're looping in ghosts and yeah. uh, being eternally damned and <laughs> things like that, <laughs> um, which is something that I, I appreciate about the Marley sequence is that they're going back and forth, and uh, at first it's kind of like, oh, are they just like being ghosts and being silly and just telling him that there's going to be some ghosts visiting, visiting him? But they do start to get into the like fact that they're eternally chained uh yeah, and all this stuff, and and the fact that his fate is locked and, and sealed, and there's nothing he can do, and all that is uh, is pretty uh, spooky and fun. And um, I also just realized that this movie came out '92, correct? Yes, mm-hmm. got that right. And then um, Nightmare Before Christmas was '93. Uh, mm, and there's Tim. A, well, not even that. I mean, like the, the, <laughs> that would be the, the joke also... to go to, I guess, but. Just, just the fact that that is like that is a spoiled set of years because I think uh, Hocus That's Pocus true. was also ninety three, and I'm like these are <laughs> oh, such great like right. holiday films. Uh, that uh, true. Wait, you know, I feel like we people don't. You got to drive back into that that well of yeah. Halloween, mm-hmm. Christmas. Like I want to, I want to see more stuff like this. Yeah. I, I was anyway. going to say I did enjoy the the Tim Burton esque vibes of the nineteenth century setting and kind of yeah it's just like mm. gothic and atmospheric and i know they're on the same uh street set and they keep revisiting it because it's got the same steps with a lamp next to it and so they keep having <laughs> they keep having everyone kind of walk down that that set of steps mm. to start the scene but uh i don't know all, all the set design and everything it was really really good yeah um yeah. and once again at no point was i questioning the puppets yeah. At no point, like sure. like at this point, it's just like no, they're they're just there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, I think it helps that both the movie and Michael Caine don't try to wink at the audience with it. Just yeah. like, all right, this, these are our characters. Let's tell the story. Yeah, I um, uh, I completely agree with you. I don't know when the last like great holiday film, holiday themed film, came out. I mean, Goosebumps too, but. <laughs> Rise of the yeah. Guardians? <laughs> I saw that movie. I don't remember it very well. I remember thinking <laughs> it was fine. I did I did want to point out this came out the same year as Batman Returns going on. The Tim Burton there Christmas vibe. There and there you go. that movie's there a is. nightmare, and this movie is delightful. So, But talking about the, the ghosts of past, present, and future, uh, I think they're all very strong, interesting uh Characters and speci- specifically the ghost of uh, Christmas Future is horrifying. Yeah, um, well, they're all like very the... different, and I think that that's yes. what really helps. It, it would, I, I know, s- story wise, they're supposed to be very different entities, but I feel mm-hmm. like just in terms of designing them, I feel like the easy thing would be to to, to be like, okay, well, we got to have some like unifying theme for all of their mm-hmm. looks, and they don't really do that. And I, I appreciate that. It's like, no, each of them represents a very different idea, so we're going to approach that. Uh, with the designs. Yeah. yeah, I think that the uh, the Ghost of Christmas Future, I think, is genuinely frightening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love that the movie... Like, you mentioned the joke where Gonzo's like, this is too scary, we're getting out of here. That is funny, but uh, it also draws you even more into the sincerity of that, yes. that, that act, where it's like, we're not going to do any jokes, 
we're not going to have any meta commentary. We're just going to, it's not punishing, but it's very like, all right, we're going to tell this story because we're about to have him see that tiny Tim has passed and see his own grave. And we're going to do these things. And we don't want to have, we don't, we don't want the audience thinking like there are jokes now, right? Like what's, yeah. what's yeah. going on? Like it really helps get you into a new frame of mind. Uh, yeah. For that, in a, in a really effective Brit- way. Britain, you mentioned uh, tearing up at Bless Us All. Uh, for me, the moment that got me was uh, Kermit saying, I, I got him a spot on the, the oh, hill God. so because he liked to watch the ducks. Like, that's. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, the like, last, point, the the last half just... hour, I was a bit of a mess. Just... Yeah, like it's. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the movie does. Uh, there's some really beautiful like editing choices in the movie um particularly early on uh, during bless us all which is largely tiny tim's song there's a part i think it's during his opening verse he's singing and everything and they establish that he's singing but then they cut to michael kane and they just kind of hold the camera on him as they're Mm -hmm. playing the music and he's watching and he doesn't do anything huge but because he's such a great actor and because the, the movie has established his character so well, you can tell that he is holding back, that he's like, I am very affected by what I'm seeing, but I'm not ready to show it yet because he's still Scrooge. Mm-hmm. He's he's still hiding from the world and he's still solitary as an oyster and all that. And it doesn't hold for a long time, but it holds on him just long enough for you to really register with that. And it's a beautiful moment from Kane. And then it goes back to this lovely, warm, lit, you know, the Cratchits all singing. And and it establishes so beautifully that Tiny Tim is having an effect on him without the need of a speech, without the need of a like, wow, I guess even the smallest and poorest and sickest of us are indeed <laughs> Christmas's creatures, you know, like that they that they just show you with that. And I think they do it at another point. Um and so then when you come back to the Tiny Tim moment, which is crushing anyway, this is such a sad bit of that, you now have this extra thing, this extra ground has been laid by knowing that Scrooge has an investment in this that up until this point he wasn't willing to really accept. Right. And now seeing what could happen, watching it. And Michael Caine like, cries and, and gets emotional in this movie, and it's so powerful when he does, and it's just so uh, beautiful. And I, and I remember when in, in the um, when they go back to the past and he's seeing his younger self, they did this. Um, I thought this was this really great choice where, you know, he's like, "Oh, there's Henry and there's Victor and they're my old friends." Hello, and she's like, "They can't hear you." And the, the ghost of Christmas past, uh, and then they go into the schoolhouse and she says, "Well, is there anybody else here? You know." And then they have Scrooge kind of look off camera, and Gonzo's narrating. He says, Scrooge beheld a small boy whom he knew, and it's something from the book. And they hold the camera on Kane looking off screen, and then they pull the camera over Mm -hmm. to show young Scrooge. So that the thing you're ultimately getting is how current Scrooge is reacting. Even when you later, they show him meeting Belle, and he's like young adult, early 20s Scrooge, I don't know, um, millennial Scrooge, that (laughs) Scrooge like... They kind of have him enter, but then again, they show Michael Caine noticing him, and that you get so much out of, out of that, that like we are witnessing all of this through him, and like it, it really is, is this moment of like, God, what would it be like to 
to to see yourself. Like we all we all have, you know see baby photos and we see pictures of ourselves as as young people, but like to literally be back there and looking at it, I think the movie just captures that so yeah. beautifully. And and in this little way, it's I think it's just brilliant. Yeah, I also think something that was really striking to me is the way it's shot at the beginning versus the end. Because um, mm. in the opening number, you've got a lot of, I guess it's like Dutch angle, Dutch angle shots. Uh, there's kind of mm. like tilted stuff. Watching as we watch Scrooge sure. walk along the um, the streets, and everyone's screaming at him and, and singing about him and stuff, and he's just looking looking grim and grumpy. And uh, the movie's very tilted at that yeah. moment. Like it, it gives you a very sort of off kilter uh, look to it. And then at the end, it's very, very matter of fact. But when he, when he wakes yeah. up, it's just like we're watching him. He's he's walking around. It's sitting straight on him. It's got all the Muppets around him, and the way like it's just much more stable. Uh, and I I like that a lot. I think that was a good. There is there was definitely some good artistic uh, choices in the way that it's actually presented. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I, I get the end. Like we don't have to hide from him. He's not hiding from us. Yeah. This is a fully open. Mm-hmm. We can just completely engage with this character. And everybody else, everybody else around him can as well. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point. Uh, I also in, in the, talking of lines that we like in the opening when they have like a bunch of vegetables sing about. Oh, if 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 he were a flavor, you can bet he would be sour. Mm-hmm. And then the vegetable vendor says, "Even the vegetables don't like him," <laughs> which I think is so good. That's <laughs> such a good line. Um, uh, I, I want to talk about Fred. Uh, his nephew, who I really, really enjoy in this movie. I think mm. he's a lot of fun. Stephen McIntosh, who would go on to play Elton John's mean dad in Rocket Man. Sure. Um, you, you, you told me that, really so great. I was on the lookout, and even even still, like, I don't, yeah, I don't know talk. if it's just in the fact that he has a very distinct mustache in Rocket Man. Sure. So maybe that's <laughs> the big thing, but... Most of the time when I'm, I, I see, like, a younger version of an actor I'm familiar with, I'm like, oh, I see it. And this time I was like, yeah. I wouldn't have known that unless Britain had told me ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, he's so much fun. He comes in and he every time he, he has a lot of turning around. He's like twirling and his like little tails on this coat are like, whoosh, whoosh, and he's like spinning around constantly yeah. and all of that's delightful. And he's kind of like trolling Scrooge a little bit when Beaker and uh, Bunsen Honeydew come in mm-hmm. to get the donation. He's like, oh, well, he's very wealthy. He's like, or he, uh, Scrooge says something about like, I, I don't know. He he says something about like, well, you know, I've been doing pretty well financially, and Fred's like, that's that's most certainly true. And he goes, but I can't afford to be donating money. And he's like, that's most certainly not true. <laughs> <laughs> Just commenting on it. And then I think it's so funny at the at the end of the movie when Scrooge is going around and greeting everybody. He goes to. Fred and, and Clara, and he comes in, and he gives them hugs, and Clara's surprised, but she's smiling. Fred's face never changes. Like, Scrooge hugs him, and he just kind of looks towards the camera like, uh. <laughs> and it's not until Scrooge leaves that his mouth kind of opens. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so funny. Um, and there's a very British scene where they play a game called Yes and No. Mm-hmm. Is it an unwanted creature? Oh, most certainly. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how droll. Oh, I can't wait to play this with my friends. <laughs> and Scrooge, Scrooge watches them do this uh, and, and then gets very sad because they're insulting him because they're calling him a right. uh, unwanted wretch. Uh, and then he goes outside and he, he beats the bush. It's like, 
having yeah. to get out the the <laughs> anger about uh, his his fellow his family uh, insulting him like that. Was was that also a in, in, in a there. special edition that you had to hunt yeah. down? Like I, I... that'll be exactly. coming. They'll they'll make sure to have that on the Disney Plus version by twenty twenty one. You know, I, I missed that scene. It's very convenient that I made that joke earlier. And now, like, it's all coming full circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a great joke in that in that yes and no scene where he says something like, uh, "It's a cat." Someone guesses something, and then Clara goes, "A cat," and Scrooge goes, "I said it first. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "No, no, no, hey." Oh, I think it's so adorable. Um, I, I I mentioned Bunsen and Beaker, uh, who we haven't gotten a lot out of in the Muppet movies. They right. they have like a recurring sketch in the Muppet Show, yeah. but there's not as much of a place for them in the movies. Mm-hmm. So I like that they're utilized in this. Um, uh, for most of my life, the scene where Beaker gives Scrooge a scarf has been a crying trigger, and it still uh-huh. is. Yeah. It's so sweet, and Michael Caine plays it so beautifully and so sincerely. And every time I watch that scene, I'm just in tears. I think yep. it's so wonderful. And and that this movie takes Beaker <laughs> mm-hmm. and gets this emotional moment out of him is is a testament to how how good it is, and and how much you can you can win from you know sincerity yeah. <laughs> and how how useful that is. I think. Well, I feel like uh, you know. This isn't something that I saw in any of the negative reviews, but I feel like there could be kind of a a criticism lobbed at this or or somebody coming into this would be thinking, isn't this just redundant? Aren't we, you know, all all these themes we've already explored, especially in other Christmas movies, not just this particular story. And I don't know, just the way it's all delivered and packaged, it's just, I don't know. It packs an extra emotional punch that... No, no other Christmas movie that I've watched has has felt this emotionally powerful. Yeah, and that's also it's, it's a yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say that goes back to the we we've mentioned every time the thematic through lines of all these movies. Um, is something that I I picked up on quickly in this that I was pleased with is the fact that they clearly uh, at least part of the reason they chose this story. Is because it does go back to a lot of the um, previous stuff they've talked about, about like pursuing your dreams versus pursuing uh, success in a and yeah, you know, a person's society. Like, I, I think that uh, this this movie was a very good choice for them to do it with because it really does slot into a lot of the same th- same things the other movies have explored about um, that sort of thing. So that was that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, absolutely. I had not thought about that, but but I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I, I we've said it before on the podcast. Like any story, no matter how familiar, can be done poorly or can be done well. Right. It just you know, it just depends. Yeah. <laughs> and predictability is only a problem when you're bored, <laughs> you know, or mainly a problem when you're bored. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I think this. Uh, because this movie seems to really genuinely want to tell the story and and try to tell it well, I think it I think it pays off. Uh, Which I mean, I, you <laughs> just just a credit to Charles Dickens, who I have already said yeah. I am not very fond of. Like, I mean, this <laughs> the story at its core is a very good story. Um, mm-hmm. I may yeah. not like his style of writing, but if you just tell me broad strokes what happens in in his story, or even you know his other stories, I would say he's very good at coming up with plots or he was very good at coming up with plots i just 
didn't care for the how the actual writing was executed. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it, at the core, this this story works. So it's just I, ha- having kind of the Muppet, you know, shine on it or whatever. I feel like it. it I don't know. It works very very well and. It's interesting that they didn't go for adaptations sooner in terms of their mm-hmm. theatrical yeah. uh, library. Yeah, because I know, I mean, they had, of course, done like spoofs and stuff on the Muppet Show. Yeah. Uh, there was a series called The Storyteller where it was like they, they would basically do dramatized versions of like folk tales and mm. Greek myths, uh, not with Kermit or anybody, with fully new characters mm-hmm. uh some of which were terrifying all of which were gorgeous and super super impressive uh one of which featured a young sean bean <laughs> before he was famous well, there you go uh, but they had they actually got us i actually muldoon from jurassic park was in one of them okay uh playing the same character i, I don't know yes ex- <laughs> exactly um it was the myth of the raptor uh, Oedip- oedipus and the raptor um <laughs> orpheus and eurydice that clever girl but I guess that'd be Medusa, uh, but but yeah, it, it, it <laughs> and I think they've only done two. I think just this one and our next Muppet movie. Yeah, I think are their only like full on Muppet adaptations that they've done, which is interesting. I don't. Mm. Hmm. I'm just realizing that now. Uh, I really enjoy Miss Piggy in this, as always. I think it's very funny. When Scrooge comes after he's been reformed, he comes to to visit them and he says – she's not hearing all the things. She's like threatening him with everything he says and he's like, I'm about to raise your salary. She goes, I'm about to raise you right off the pavement. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then just like uh, freezes. I think it's so funny. Also, uh, the the we've, we've talked about this, the, the meta qualities of the previous movies, how they've worked or not worked. I think this one finds a really good balance. Having Gonzo there as the narrator is a great, a great bridge, a great way to like de-intimidate the movie, <laughs> um, but mm. it also allows for some like meta jokes. Uh, the only time they directly interact with the movie in a meta way that I can remember is when Sam the Eagle says he's talking about business and education and. Being a productive member of society, it's the American way. And Gonzo like taps him on the arm and he goes, "Sam," and Sam goes, "Oh, right, it's the British way." <laughs> it's that's the only joke, and I think it's such a good joke. And then Gonzo leaves, and you see Sam like look off screen for a minute, and then he just kind of shakes his head. <laughs> I think it's great. Frank Oz's characters always do takes, and I think it's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I, I I thought all of that worked. Uh, really, really well, and and it is interesting that like, I think Gonzo and Rizzo are the Muppet familiar Muppet characters that do the most. Obviously, Kermit mm-hmm. after that, yeah. But like, Fozzie's only in it for a minute. Animal gets a, pr- a, pr- a, pr- a pretty good bit where he's playing the triangle and just like <laughs> ding, and then he just like freaks out <laughs> and drums. I think that's all pretty funny. Um. But yeah, yeah, I think all of it just works really well. Yeah. Got anything else, or are we we already time to go into grades? I mean, this is one of those movies where I could easily just name lines. Oh, I will say my favorite line, favorite bit between Gonzo and Rizzo is 
I cannot remember what prompts it, but like Rizzo says something. There's some like moment where Gonzo's fed up with Rizzo and they're just like staring at each other. And then Rizzo just leans forward and kisses him on the nose. <laughs> I think that is, and then I think Gonzo's like, you are such an idiot. <laughs> like, I think it's so funny. And the whole thing with Rizzo and his jelly beans is, is great. Sure. <laughs> where he, he can, he's burrowing under the gate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I might have just about said all, all. I mean, the major things. I think I've, yeah. I think I've hit. All right, A plus, A plus, A plus. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Th- this is my favorite Christmas movie. It's my favorite Muppet movie. It's my favorite version of a Christmas Carol. Um, I-, I have a friend who, who's an English teacher, and he has said that when he's taught this book, this is the film he shows. Uh, I, I, I think it is. The, the Muppet movie is probably is the most quintessential Muppet thing. Right, sure. Um, but this movie, I think, is just so perfectly done in every way. Uh, it just... Well, there is nostalgia attached to me, of course. You know, as with any of these. Like, I just have... I've loved it for a long time, and so I still love it. Right. But also, like... I think it is so well done that I wouldn't be able to hold on to it the way I have if it wasn't right. as well done as it is. Yep. Right. Um, yeah, and this this movie, much like its central song, feels like Christmas for me. It's I just cannot. Yeah, there aren't enough uh, podcast episodes in the world. Like this is one of the <laughs> most important movies to me in my life. So I'm really glad that you guys liked it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, that's a real a real treat. Uh, I think it is just so beautiful. Yeah, I I just. Uh... Really respect that they were willing to take on uh, something a little different in terms of a, a actual yeah. book adaptation, and they don't they, they don't just use it as an excuse to just do a bunch of Muppet bits. It's yeah. you know we, we're we're trying to tell the story and we're trying to do it faithfully, but also we want to add in some fun and and some a little lightheartedness because hey, it's Muppets. Also, you like the Muppets, yeah. so we're going to make this sentimental, and anyone who doesn't like it is wrong. I don't correct. I will say the the next the next Muppet movie is also a literary adaptation that is a lot sillier and has a lot more like Muppet bits. Sure. However, that that story is not as inherently sentimental. I should say Treasure so, Island is not. Yeah, it's not the dramatic. You have a little of more story. When did Treasure Planet come out? Two thousand and two, three, two. I want to. Yeah, two is what I was two, thinking. Two or three. That's why. Whenever, why did when, that, whenever the Goo Goo, whenever the Goo Goo Dolls were big enough that they could have him, Jimmy Resnick. Oh no! When so the, Treasure Island is ninety six. Muppets Treasure Island. Sorry, I think so. It's ninety six. Okay, I think so. It's just a weird things. Hollywood does stuff. Hollywood. I don't know. Movies. Movie yeah, studios. Yeah. I guess is, would be a better way to phrase it. Just do stuff like that sometimes, where things come out and they're just like kind of similar and i don't know why mm. there is suddenly a cultural interest that made them think they need to produce well, that movie treasure planet um that was a movie that was in development for a long time and the yeah two guys in charge of that just You're kept right. getting put know. on other <laughs> wonderful <laughs> disney 2d movies yeah. and they're like okay we promise after you do hercules or whichever one we're on at this point we'll give you treasure planet five movies later yeah. okay you get treasure planet Proceeds to kill all interest in 2D animated Disney films for the next several years. Not that that's a bad movie. It's just that nobody saw it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Titan AE. (laughs) Matt Damon. Yeah. 
I think that the I mean Treasure Island's a lot of fun, but it is definitely they they are two very different approaches to this, but I think they're also a little more tailored to each book. Sure. I don't remember if Brian Henson directs I don't know if he directs any more of the movie. I, I just don't remember. Um but he uh I, I think is a is a within this movie at least I think he is quite a good director. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, I mean obviously his father was a brilliant director. Uh but uh Brian Brian's pretty good too. Um yeah, I'll be interested to hear what y'all think of Treasure Island. I, I I have a lot of fondness for it. It's just, it's such a different thing from Christmas Carol. Uh, I think delightfully so. But yeah. Uh, well, now we are we are moving into our our recommendation segment. Do you guys have any any recommendations, holiday themed or otherwise? Anything cool you might have seen recently or eons past? I have a non uh, oh, Christmas recommendation. That go for it. Isn't that far off? I feel like from like something. I don't know. I won't try to justify it. Um, but it is also about eighteen uh, hundreds uh, London. Um, that is the Elephant Man, directed by oh, David hey. Lynch. I've been meaning to watch it forever. Um, obviously, it has Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt. So it's like, yeah. I, I there was not a part of me that I thought was it. I. There was not a part of me where I thought it was going to be bad going into it, um, but I was hesitant because I, with Lynch, I I adored Twin Peaks, um, yeah, and I I really enjoyed Fire Walk with Me as horrifying of a movie as that is, um, but Eraserhead and Blue Velvet are both movies that I have seen of his uh, that I think I sort of respect and and impressed by more than I actually like connected with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've been trying to continue to catch up on all his filmography, um, but some of his movies are hard to hard to watch. So uh, watch this space. Maybe I'll recommend more stuff from him. We'll see. But The Elephant Man um, is obviously it's one of his most straightforward stories, um, but it still absolutely has this flair where I mean, kind of like with Dune, um, mm. it, it it has the. Uh, I guess this the sentimentality or not the sentimentality it does have sentimentality the um there's a word I'm looking for I guess the trappings of uh mm. David Lynch's approach uh it's it's the way editing is done where there there's cuts to other uh seemingly unrelated things to kind of make things flow together like he, there's a lot of cuts to big London machinery um throughout the story that he likes to do and David Lynch is a man who who loves his big electric machines. Uh, <laughs> so that, it was nice to see that he still very much gets his own flavor on this sort of adaptation, uh, uh, dramatization. Um, my understanding is that it's it's not like a direct um, fact based retelling of the life of the original Elephant Man, uh, Joseph Merrick. I think in the movie he's called I mean, John Merrick, but his real name is yeah. actually Joseph. I don't know. Okay. Either way, uh, the whole point is that basically Anthony Hopkins takes in a guy who is uh, has a lot of physical deformities, has a very like poor quality of life, and seems to be completely mute and, and just not able to communicate at all, um, and doesn't really seem to have any sort of higher functioning in, in terms of what he, he thinks. Um, and Anthony Hopkins takes him in, he's a doctor, and he starts to like talk to him a bit more and, and slowly realizes that this man... Um, 
does have more or is capable of more and, and tries to kind of uh, draw him into an actual society and life that he can enjoy. Um, and obviously many struggles occur along the way. And it's it's very sweet. It's very uh, heart-wrenching. Um, Anthony Hopkins is brilliant, as always. Uh, John Hurt is also brilliant as always like i mean they're they're both just it's it's really really good um the the way the movie approaches the makeup uh and and sort of revealing what uh the elephant man looks like what merrick Mm -hmm. looks like uh is great because there there's a lot of suspense and and build up and tension in that and lynch does a really good job of not just like letting you see exactly a, a straightforward shot of what's going on for quite a while into the movie. Um, there's some just various little storytelling elements and things that get thrown in there um, to make it really uh, hit home as a story overall. Um, I'm trying not to say too much because it feels like a weird movie to be talking about the spoilers when it's like a historical uh, sure. semi-biography thing. Um, but I think it, it's worth just watching and, and seeing how the entire structure unfolds and, and you know how it kind of tracks this guy's life um and i enjoyed it quite a bit uh so that's that's my recommendation um we'll nice. see if uh in, in a few weeks i'm recommending the straight story <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at least for now i have found a, a lynch movie that um beyond twin peaks related stuff uh i do think is really really good and uh has a lot there in terms of emotions and in terms of how it can draw you in as a viewer and make you care about these characters. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I, I definitely. <clears throat> Where did you watch it? Uh, I think I got. I think the Criterion Channel has a two week free trial. Um, oh, cool. And so I grabbed that and I watched it on that. One annoying thing is that the Criterion Channel is not on a lot of stuff in terms of streaming yeah. devices. Um, I don't think it's on PS4 even. Like, it's mm. not on consoles, really. It's not, like, I don't really have, like, an, a widespread app. Um, yeah. So I think I had to, like, pull it up on my phone and cast it to <laughs> the Apple TV box thing wow. that my wife has. <laughs> and it's a whole thing. Um, so that's mildly difficult. But, of course, you could always just rent it or whichever. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I like that the Criterion, which is uh, about, like, preserving important cinema is making it hard to find important cinema <laughs> and making it um, more likely that you're going to watch it just like on a phone or laptop than right <laughs> than <a screen>. right <laughs> but yeah uh alex you got something sure uh a friend of the podcast cecilia and i watched the vast of night hey. on amazon prime gotta get there still uh it was all right <laughs> what a what a rousing recommendation uh i mean it's it's very well made um mm-hmm. the problem is just based on the premise it's a lot of it felt like it was just kind of spinning its wheels in terms of like i know what what they're they what they're trying to figure out like i i'm pretty sure i know what it is and then the movie just kind of ends um yep. There's a lot of really neat moments in it, and the acting's all great. Like, there's a whole thing where, um, 
you know, they're like switchboard operators. So they're like having to, mm-hmm. and it's in the sixties. So they're having to manually pull cords and plug them in to answer the phone and stuff and get, get audio transfer. Like all that stuff was, was really neat. And there's, um, I think it's like some drone work or something because it's like it, – it's just like the small town and it's like the camera's just zooming across the landscape to get from one location to the next. And it's it's all it's all really neat. Um, just I I was expecting there to be like one more element added on to the story. Mm. Be like, all right, you're going to have something for me at the end? Um, and then it didn't really. Um, it's also got this neat kind of setup where it's – like zooming in on a 60s television set and it's like oh this episode of paradox theater um so that was neat um yeah very well made um i'd probably recommend still watching it it's fairly short um but yeah pretty all right the vast of night yeah the, the one is one that i think the atmosphere is really immersive um and i agree there's the the ending doesn't really do much yeah it it felt (laughs) Um, it it almost felt like a like a college film school premise or script that somebody came up with for for a class but it was made by like professionals or (laughs) as is probably very possible because i forget who directed that but it could be one where he he made this and then he like stuck to and really enjoyed or was really proud of this script and wanted to like draw it forward but then like as he improved and like found himself with a bigger budget and like more of a free reign uh maybe did not do enough touching up of it i don't know but uh i also can't the script for that has got to be not very long because there's there (laughs) sure is a lot of uh just sort of chilling yeah (laughs) (laughs) so to speak long shots a lot of uh line direction of she pulled the cord yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trying to get caught up on my my 2020 movies um since we we're we're getting into award season and year end kind of stuff uh which is what led me to the movie that I well, I I'm going to do two uh real quick. One is I watched Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Uh which is getting a lot of a lot of buzz uh particularly for star Riz Ahmed. Um, <clears throat> who plays a metal drummer who loses his hearing and has to adjust to a new life as a deaf person. And it's a really insular movie. Lots of close-ups of Riz Ahmed, lots of focusing on his face, which leads him to get to do a lot of <clears throat> very small, very thorough acting, which is really effective. And the sound editing is, and or the sound in general is beautiful. Where very often you will be hearing things as he hears them, so dialogue will be muffled. But the movie's very smart about choosing when you're hearing things through his perception and when perspective, and when you're hearing them through your own perspective, and when it chooses to use subtitles for sign language and not, because sometimes it's very clear what people are mm. uh, communicating. Um, it, it cast a lot of actually deaf and hard of hearing actors uh like lauren ridloff who's going to be the in the eternals mm-hmm. um and uh, a wonderful actor called paul racy who i believe he's like an actor on the side because i think he was a sign language interpreter for like the la court system or something for sure. like 25 years but apparently he was in the play children of a lesser god with marley matlin when she got her start so like 
this guy is not like a new actor. He's just, I guess, I guess he's an actor on the side or something. He's fantastic. He's getting a lot of buzz as well. Um, it's just a movie that I thought was really, really, really well done and is a technical achievement, but also an emotional one. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, it, it leads to some recognition in the award season. But regardless, I'm just glad it exists because it's a, it's a really cool movie that I think is, is going to be very uh, uh, informative for people who are, are not members of the deaf community, like myself, obviously. And, and uh, I think it's just a really cool movie. It's all uh, streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, the other one I recommend is a Christmas TV special. Uh, it's If You Missed Jim Henson, uh, you can watch Muppet Family Christmas. Um, it's not on like a streaming service, streaming service, but there is a tube you can watch it on. Um, and it's this like 45 minute, maybe 45 minute TV special. The Muppets are going to stay at Fozzie's mom's house in the country and... It, it it was overbooked, so it's the Muppets and Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock huh. sharing Christmas together. Um, it's really funny. Jerry Jewell, who adapted the script for Muppet Christmas Carol and has been working with the Muppets, wrote this. It's hysterically funny. Even just down to little things like Animal and Cookie Monster meeting and mm-hmm. what comes of that. Like, uh, it's also very sweet. A lot of great Christmas songs. Um, yeah, it's just like a really good time, and Jim Henson has a cameo in it that I really enjoy. And and, and just to, to add an extra dose of sweetness, that cameo is with a character performed by Brian Henson. So that's lovely. Hmm. Um, I, I don't remember exactly. It was in the 80s, obviously, but I don't remember exactly when in the 80s it was. But yeah, it's it's short, it's literally sweet, and it's re- literally you are, ju- you are just watching the Muppets and associated characters celebrating Christmas. Um, and it's really fun. I liked it a lot. So sound of metal for like movie stuff and Muppet family Christmas for Muppet Christmas and family stuff on blip.tv. <laughs> yeah. On cool shows. Fun. <laughs> I was, I was out running errands today and I saw like a big inflatable pool display that said San Juan pools. Fun. <laughs> And you were like, sold! I was like, how do you get a sponsor? I have to go to that website right now. (laughs) Just be like, hey, we got a podcast. (laughs) Happy to to promote your product if you let us play. We're very picky about who we sponsor here. It's stamps.com and nothing else. They are (laughs) as seen on Fox and Friends. Oh my god. Uh, There you go. They are already fiberglass uh, pools since 1958. Well, there you go. Somehow all of that lines up for me. <laughs> to me. Um, we are also technically sponsored by No Time to Die, I think, at this point. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I we may we as have well talked be. About it. I think we have talked about it more than the studio that made it <laughs> in the past few months. True. Um Oh boy, uh, guys! Uh, next week, oop. what what are we doing? We're, we got a yeah. we got a New Year's special. Tyler, That's true. Take we a, are. Take a little pause. Uh, we yeah, we are revisiting our uh, New Year's special of 2017. Yes, uh, in which we reviewed Wonder Woman and Justice League, the the Whedon cut. Um, <laughs> I guess. 
And uh, so now we are we are going to be doing Wonder Woman 1984. And we'll sp- and Justice League the Whedon Cut. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll spend half of that discussing how movie theaters are dying. Correct. Yeah. Just like people, which is the problem. James. James. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. Well, and also. Fair point. Um, <laughs> I was going to make yeah, a joke Wonder about Wo- how uh, James Bond has no time to die, but movie theaters sure do. But now I just feel like. Uh... Now I feel like we're just. We've gone, we've gone down a path here. Um, um, yeah, Wonder Woman 1984, starring Chris Pine and Pedro Pascal, mm-hmm. uh, should be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Fo- and Fozzie Bear, <laughs> otherwise known and... as Kristen Wiig in a weird cheetah's cat suit. <laughs> and who was the president at that time? Kermit Carter, Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> yeah, probably Woodrow Wilson. That makes the most sense. Um, Benjamin Henry Harris. <laughs> Disappointed nobody said Taft. Yeah, you can't. Well, you can. You got to spread the Taft references around. You gotta, you go hashtag spread the Taft. Hashtag yeah. spread the Taft. <laughs> spread spread the Taft around. Spread the Taft around. <laughs> Love to make well, that. I don't know what's friends. happening to the end of this podcast. Um, the Muppets will return. The Muppets will down. return in twenty twenty one. Titanic. You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at hctsequels. Um, you can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We are on iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've gone off the rails. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Everyone stay safe. And w- watch, watch Muppet Christmas Carol. You hack frauds, you. I've been Alex. (laughs) Oh, there's like a stare down going on right now. Who's taking it? Who's got it? Tyler. I've been Tyler, (laughs) and and I've been Britain. (laughs) And and if I and if I may briefly say before we go, um, the, the phrase "Merry Christmas" to me has always ultimately boiled down to meaning, "I hope you have a good day, and I care about you." And I am deeply grateful that whether it's the holidays or a pandemic or just, you know, a, a, another hot summer day, me and my buddies get together to talk about movies. Uh, and Elliot Kalin has said this, so I'm, I'm going to take his angle. Any excuse you can find to do something good for somebody else is a good reason to do it. Whether that means charitable donations, whether that means... Uh, donating your time, whether that just means being nice to the cashier, you know, whatever it is, whether it's religious or the holidays or Tuesday, really any reason we can find to be good to each other is a great reason to be good to each other. I think that um, if the Muppets have taught me anything, like that's how we're going to save the world is by coming together and being nice to each other. And we've heard people say versions of that all through 2020 um, but I, I think it continues to be true no matter what year it is. So thank you guys so much for listening. It is a, a real pleasure to do this show and I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. So really from, from the deepest and most honest part of me, like the part of me that loves the Muppets, Merry Christmas and I've been Britain. 
and when you're having a great night. And you're to to all a good night. There you uh, go. Uh. <laughs>